The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and welcome to CPR Unplugged. I am your host, Jess, and today I am joined by Marianne and Mike. We're tackling an interesting issue. Uh, Everyone knows, you know, 2020 was not the easiest year and there's no doubt that there's been a pretty significant rise in um, the use of mental health care, but also the underlying factors contributing to that depression, suicide rates are, are steadily rising. And we're going to look at some creative solutions, some ways that communities and interdisciplinary teams are coming together to affect change in that area. So welcome, Marianne and Mike. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Great to be here. Thanks for, for inviting me. All right. So, Marianne, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off with a little bit of background information and stats. Sure, I would love to. So, um, basically, I am looking at the benefits of creative, uh, expressive arts on mental wellness. And there is an existing profession of art therapists. There are plenty of art therapists out there providing this service to folks, but there is definitely a gap in how many people are being able to access these therapeutic benefits of arts. And in my experience, you know, I've been working in a behavioral health company for almost 10 years now. And my direct experience is that it's not uh, a prevalent treatment modality. It's not something that many people are being able to access as part of their treatment. Um, So I just wanted to kind of look at the the stats that you were mentioning, Jess, as far as rising suicides and depression rates and how can we kind of think collaboratively with agencies that do art and, you know, work together to kind of connect more people to the art that could help to reduce those numbers and help, you know, combat um, depression and suicide rates. So the rising rates are staggering. Actually, I was doing some research on this and I found that between um, 2000 and 2016, there was a 30% increase in suicides in the United States. Um, And then obviously that was before the pandemic, which we all just experienced. That was kind of a collective trauma that uh, we, we felt around the world. And it's kind of a good moment right now while we are all getting back to trying to find out what is life now what is this new normal of getting back to being in person with each other? And how can we kind of infuse our experience now with more art? So Mike, I'm curious, do you have any insights into from a business perspective or even like a a clinical perspective, some of the challenges that uh, clinicians or um, businesses might face in integrating these types of therapies or working with artists in this way? Jess, great, great question. And thanks again for uh, involving me in this. I think one of the historical barriers in this area of clinical services is that many, many times, whether it's art therapists, dance therapists, equine therapists, that that category of service by itself uh, was never fully recognized by the payers. So, So the payers always had a hard time figuring out how to put that uh, modality into some form of either a clinical program or uh, what types of billing codes would be used. And so oftentimes those 
services were um, uh, still provided, but they were provided for people that were had the capabilities to uh, receive those services in kind of a private pay environment. And so that left out um, quite a bit of individuals that were either covered by commercial insurance, uh, Medicare coverage, or even Medicaid um, uh, eligibility. So that was the, that historically has been what the challenges have been. The second piece really was that sometimes those clinical providers were not always, didn't always have an accredited program that they graduated from. So they had a difficult time becoming licensed kind of in their, in the field or in the state that they were working. And so that created another barrier for payers because the payers would oftentimes say, well, yeah, we love the program. We love the services, but the persons that are delivering them still need to be credentialed. uh, And in order to be credentialed, they have to have you know, either a licensed professional counseling degree, licensed clinical social work, or licensed marriage and family. And sometimes that always didn't work out. We have seen changes in that um, over the years where what's happening is a lot of people are getting their, either their counseling or social work degree, and then going back for further studies to become uh, more clinically focused, whether it's in uh, one of those areas we talked about music therapy, art therapy, dance therapy. And I think that's a great path for the field as we kind of look look ahead. And in large part, it's because clinic, folks connect through various different means. And so talk therapy or cognitive therapies or office-based services might be wonderful for certain categories of individuals based on whatever their presenting issues are. But other people really connect to um, the the expressive arts, really can get connected to um, many of the areas that that Marianne has researched. So I'm a big proponent of that and I've actually participated with one payer on a different way of of paying for services and using more uh, natural different connections that people can make and whether that's whether that's the arts, whether that's using kind of what we refer to as a neighborhood model where people can participate in uh, walk therapies, can participate in um, working with their therapist at kind of natural settings like parks and community centers and not have it to be around this kind of uh, the client and the patient or the patient and the therapist model kind of in the you know, in the in the office-based environment. So this is a very exciting time and a great uh, subject that uh, Marianne is bringing forth. That's great insight, Mike. Yeah, I I love the what you're talking about with the neighborhood community arts too. That's that's right in line with this too. Um, really, just the idea of how to supplement traditional mental health care. You know, if what we're doing, we know that it's effective for a lot of people and it's definitely making a difference. But at the same time, we're seeing those numbers rise. So it's what can we do differently? So I love hearing things like that. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Absolutely. I think it's interesting that with um, the pandemic, it seems like insurance companies and, and payers and just people in general are more amenable to these types of integrated therapies and kind of more willing to reach outside the box, as it were. We're looking at a lot more um, beyond traditional therapies, I feel like. 
That's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. We just, we transitioned so quickly to doing everything remotely and that felt like almost insurmountable prior to the pandemic. And then all of a sudden we adapted and we got all of our patients up and running with, you know, virtual services. And I think the payers saw that that was a success and that we were able to continue to provide services that people always needed, but needed even more in that moment of crisis. So yeah, maybe this, that's a great point that this is kind of a catalyst moment that we could kind of um, capture this, this moment of change and, and show the value in doing things a little bit differently than we've always done. So what falls into that category of expressive arts? It's a great question. And um, there's a lot that can fall into that category. So for my research for this concept, I was really focusing specifically on visual arts. So things like, you know, painting, um, ceramics, even woodworking, um, things that, you know, you use your hands to create. But there is also what Michael or what Mike was touching on as far as dance, drama. My aunt is actually a drama therapist and she works with um, terminally ill people who are in hospice to do drama therapy to help them cope with what they're facing. Um, There's music therapists. I have a cousin who does music therapy. There's all kinds of ways to incorporate the arts into, um, you know, our, our mental wellness. And it makes so much sense if you think about it, because the arts come from a place of expression. They are where we are, our most human, you know, so kind of tapping into that place of expression and allowing people to communicate in some ways, um, the ability to communicate non-verbally is huge to be able to share the thoughts that are going on internally without having to find the right words to express them. So there's a lot of power there. Um, visual arts is what I was looking at specifically, but there's a whole big world of the, the therapeutic benefits of all sorts of, of art. So in terms of visual arts, um, how is the research on, is it pretty limited or were you able to find some good support for this? Yeah, it is quite limited because it's a newer field. Um, the, there have been a lot of studies on it, but the studies themselves are somewhat limited as far as, you know, how many people are engaging in these therapies to actually look at. Um, the studies that I did find were across the board showing um, improvement in folks from all kinds of different populations with all kinds of different diagnoses and not just in mental health, um, also with all kinds of medical issues. There's research showing improvement for folks with cancer, HIV, AIDS, um, dementia, even just stress, you know, just the daily stressors that we face in our lives can be alleviated by creative expression. So I I found actually a good amount of research for what's available and everything that um, I found pointed to that this is an effective and valuable um, modality and also something that can supplement regular treatment, talk-based treatment. I'll tell you what, anyone that's ever sat down with a toddler and finger painted, I felt a lot better afterwards. I'm just saying. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. For Those sure. things are, they really do alleviate stress and they put you in a different yeah. mindset. You know, they give you a different perspective. Yeah. I actually found that um, one of the studies showed that creating art produces dopamine, which is, I mean, it gets right down to the science of it. Stress produces cortisol. Cortisol is unhealthy and it makes us, you know, it's bad for us. And that anything we can do to bring that cortisol down, we should be doing it. So creating art gives us the dopamine to battle the cortisol. It's like scientifically helping us. It's pretty cool. 
Mike, if we looked at a interdisciplinary approach, perhaps a cooperative approach where there would be like an art instructor working uh, together with a clinician, mm-hmm. is that a potential direction that this could head? Without a doubt, Jess, um, there certainly uh, there are programs that are very successful uh, in our communities around uh, uh, like Resilient Health has a program called Art Awakenings which um, from a Medicaid perspective, that's, those services are reimbursable. Um, you can uh, involve people either one-on-one or in group settings to provide that service and, and receive reimbursement. So marrying up you know, uh, an art therapist with um, another therapist in creating a kind of a clinical program um, and, and relying heavily on the expressive arts is certainly very doable and manageable um, uh, from a billing perspective in the fields. So I would I would highly uh, be supportive of this because as kind of Marianne indicated, in addition to the mental health uh, symptom decreases that we see, there's also a tremendous benefit for folks that are suffering from kind of comorbid physical health issues. And one area that I've always been kind of uh, intrigued by is certainly the dance therapy models and certain conditions like Parkinson's disease have shown significant benefits when, uh, you know, movement types of therapies for those types of chronic uh, care conditions is an example of why we should be thinking about ways to kind of um, provide these level of services because you're benefit, you're helping a person um, feel more as independent as possible with their movements, but at the same time, they start to feel better because they're part either, you know, they're part of a group, um, they're getting support and they're seeing a, uh, at least some maintenance, if not a decrease in some of the symptoms that they're experiencing because they're not being able to move as much as they would like to without those types of services. That's really fascinating. I hadn't even thought of the idea of the comorbid conditions, but yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And with what, you know, with what Marianne was saying too, with the different creative arts, just using your hands and um, being involved in that process in a different way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, absolutely. And I think certain, uh, you know, um, certainly you mentioned just children and adolescents, right? They're, they're going to have a more complicated or difficult time in kind of the traditional setting, but I think these other types of services, um, it's less stigma uh, provoking for them. It's less fearful. Um, you can involve the therapy, whether it's art or music or dance or equine in a way that's less threatening. And it's, uh, it's a way for people to, as Marianne indicated, you know, be able to address their issues by lowering some of the, you know, those stress levels and those hormones to the point where they're going to, they're going to have, they're going to think differently about challenges in their lives because um, they're not as uh, overwhelmed with their, uh, with the problem that they're, that they're coming to services for. I wonder, as a clinician with a small practice, it, to me, it seems almost unreachable. 
because of the, I mean, obviously the, the level of additional training that goes into it, but also the supplies, the, mm-hmm. the space, the availability of resources to be able For to sure. implement these types of therapies. That's kind of what I was thinking about when I was brainstorming this concept of there are agencies that have all of that. They've got the space, they've got the supplies, they've got the artists, the experts in creative expression, um, and they're there. And we have, you know, our agency filled with what we need to do what we're doing, but we don't have an art studio. We don't have those supplies. So the idea of joining forces, either somehow literally sending our clients to the art center to do a group there and have one of our clinicians there at the center facilitating that group alongside an artist. Um, to me, that sounds ideal because then the, the client is immersed in that art environment as well. But then there's also the concept of having an artist come to us and bring their supplies to an outpatient setting and, and meet with clients there. But yeah, that, that concept of I don't have all the supplies. And I think that's one of the contributing factors to the, the underuse of this um, modality. It's mm-hmm. not only that, you have to invest in all the supplies. You have to keep them somewhere in your, your office and you have to know how to use them. So that's the other tricky part. You know, if you yourself are not an artist, you're not necessarily going to feel confident or comfortable guiding your client through creative expression. So having an artist there with you to do the actual technical, okay, put the paint here, that kind of stuff while you are guiding it from a therapeutic perspective. To me, that seems like an ideal collaboration. So maybe not even an art therapist, but just an artist alongside a therapist um, could do the trick. So just interesting to explore those barriers and how to overcome them. Yeah. I'm imagining myself trying to teach one of my clients pottery. I think that would very much would very quickly devolve. (laughs) (laughs) You'd need some coping mechanisms afterwards, probably. Right. (laughs) What other aspects of this did you want to explore? What, what haven't we touched on? I mean, I know we haven't touched on a lot of things, but what comes to mind? Um, That's a great question. I, I think that um, there's a lot to explore here, really. And this was just kind of a preliminary brainstorm of I've got these ideas and I'm, I'm thinking, how can we how can we connect people? We, we can see that there's a problem. We see the, the rising numbers of you know, folks dealing with mental health issues. We see that there is benefit in art therapy, but not enough people accessing it. Um, so really, I, I kind of just wanted to explore this concept with you guys as a counselor and as a you know CEO of a behavioral health company with a lot of experience branching out and exploring um, collaborations like this. So I think it's it's cool to know what's already happening out there in the community, like the Art Awakenings that you were mentioning. Um, that's a great program and something that more uh, more of that needs to be happening. So anything we can be doing to help um, move that along and help facilitate getting more people connected to art is the goal here. Mike, how do we bridge that gap? I mean, how do we, how do we bring these community resources together with these the clinicians? You know, I think, I think one way, certainly we're, we're confronting um, a significant access to care issue right now in the field. And this is something that's happening across a lot of different groups, a lot of different traditional behavioral health groups. And I think this, this offers an opportunity because many of the expressive arts would be would fit into really a group model concept 
you know, and I think I think groups are are a wonderful way, especially if they're uh, properly managed and they they don't they're not overwhelming. Some you know some agencies do this really well and be able to combine that with other like-minded groups, whether it's resilient or other categories. And, and, you know, on the art therapy side, I think they're a picture perfect example of how beneficial that program can be and how it can help uh, address an access to care issue and get people connected to care in a more natural way. Uh, Maybe it's an area that they've always have enjoyed or they have an interest in. And it's a natural way for them to be able to feel more comfortable uh, discussing their challenges in their lives. Um, so I think that's one. I think that's one way. I think the other piece would be around um, really setting up these these connections, as, as Marianne mentioned, with you know whether it's you know Ballet Arizona, right? Could be could be one connection point where you know, we, we have people that are kind of experts in the field of dance combined with uh, a therapist being able to provide that type of modality um, in a kind of a therapeutic environment. So it would be, a, it would be kind of an easier way to get, bring people, improve access to care because you could have, you know, you could have 12 or eight people in a, in a dance studio environment uh, to be able to do that. And, and I think that just, it, it speaks to, you know, um, the other modalities and being able to, you know, open up more spaces where people can connect to care um, and, and, uh, and get the therapeutic benefit in a, just a different format. Um, so we're going to have to rely on some of the, what I refer to as kind of the helpers and the and the uh, services that might not fall under the kind of the rubric of mental health, but have those mental health providers kind of linked up together so that that service can be offered in a way that uh, um, could could one meet the requirements of the payers, but also do so in a way that's th- that you can measure outcomes and and see some of the success related to uh, um uh, the services being provided. I think it also, you know, expressive arts, you know, I mean, if you think about the benefits of just physical activity, right. in lowering depression and anxiety symptoms, I, you know, expressive arts are, are in that, are, are, are really in that realm. And I think we can, we can greatly enhance access to care, give people that kind of that natural support, build community because people would be working and seeing that other people have challenges and that's the benefit of group and they're getting feedback and they're getting insights and, um, you know, lessons learned that a group can offer and accountability. So I think that's, I think that's a direction that we could, that we could go is build on like-minded networks, build on natural supports or existing um, art programs or therapy programs that might be available in the community uh, that we can tie in with. That sounds great. And it sounds really doable um, from where I'm sitting anyway. <laughs> it sounds mm-hmm. like a, a realistic thing that could uh, come to fruition. So it's exciting to, to envision. So Marianne, if you had to take a next step in this project, um, ideally, what would that look like, do you think? That's a great question. And I hope to take a next step in this project. Um, what Mike was just describing, actually, as far as making those connections is what would come next, I think, because at this point, we know 
we know this side of it as far as the behavioral health side of how we would provide services, but we don't know how they do things on their end as far as how they bring clients in, how do, how do they work with the community over in the art centers, um, those folks who are already doing things with in this realm of combining mental health and art. So making those connections with the Resilient Health, um, with Mesa Art Center, with Phoenix Center for the Arts, Valley, Arizona, as, as Mike mentioned, places mm-hmm. that have the potential to join forces and become a like-minded network to supplement mental health treatment. So the next step, I think, would be actually reaching out, making contact, and starting a conversation with those folks. All right. You heard it here. If anyone's listening and you are an art teacher or <laughs> dance or you're you know something about pottery. Like, <laughs> yep. Let's talk. Let's join forces. <laughs> right. That's the first step, I think, is having the conversation. Yeah, and I would just add, um, Jess and Marianne, that, you know, the other benefit is that the facilities are available, at least in kind of the urban areas, to really be able to connect people. So there could be a major benefit here is people are connected to the the community um, cultural centers that are available, whether it's Mesa or Tempe or Phoenix or, you know, um, where we're getting people tied into the arts um, and how the, how they how people's lives are are noticeably changed from the arts and do that from a therapeutic perspective where these these facilities are available most of the time. I mean, they obviously have their own um, show and schedules and so forth, but they have the the opportunity to really connect people in those environments, I think would be um, very worthwhile activity because it would draw upon people that would feel very comfortable kind of coming to those locations for care. That's a really good point. Sometimes that, clinical environment. And like you mentioned earlier, the idea of talk therapy and things like that prevent some people from reaching out for care. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This was a fantastic discussion. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Um, I feel like we opened some doors today and we're, we're starting to build that bridge. So it's awesome. I think so too. Thank you, Jess. It was cool to be able to explore this um, with you and also with you, Mike. That was really exciting. So I'm excited to see where we can go from here. Yeah, look forward to it. Please, uh, please involve me and, and I'd be excited to find ways to kind of move this forward. All right. Well, hopefully this conversation will continue off the mic. Thanks everyone for joining us today and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc., The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. 